When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand. Good morning to you. It is 9.04 here on SENZ and uh, we've got Marty Burke uh, coming up very shortly. Now, Marty's the Canterbury NPC head coach. Boy, what a season they are having. It's not unusual, is it? But uh, he's had to formulate it. Um, and coming in with a new group, of course, uh, put his team together and uh, they've done a spectacular job. Uh, Canterbury again dominating. Uh, we'll have uh, lots of little clips to play this morning. Uh, we're going to be speaking uh, or hearing from Stephen Adams, of course. Uh, he's home. He's been doing some um, some work and some fishing and some holidaying and all sorts of things. So uh, here are a couple of little clips from Stephen Adams at some point. Uh, Crystal Koa is uh, the wonderfully uh, successful women's rugby coach. And uh, along with Victoria Grant, they have just been given postings for Super Rugby or Picky next year. Women's head coaches. What a wonderful thing for women's rugby. Uh, we'll hear from those two ladies as well throughout the morning. Uh, Susie Bates uh, will come into us uh, from Antigua in the Caribbean. Uh, of course, the White Ferns are over there on tour at the moment. They won the, the uh, One Day International Series 2-1, and they start the T20 Series. There's five matches, all at the same venue, the Civilian Richards Ground in Antigua, and uh, they're all um, T20 matches, and they uh, will be interesting to see too. Just uh, how we placed against uh, the West Indies. Panel this morning uh, will be Sam Hewitt and Andrew Gordy. And uh, then uh, we'll speak to Louis Herman Watt and Pitt Morris just prior to the 11 o'clock news with um, racing updates. And then Greg Murphy, uh, one of our favourite sons here on SENZ, uh, Kiwi Motorsport Great, of course, with the news that uh, Shane Van Gisbergen potentially may have a cameo in NASCAR next year. Well, wouldn't that be something special? We'll get Murph's uh, views on that. Stump Smithy around about uh, 11.30. Talk to Andy Thompson. Rural Roundup is on, of course, being Wednesday. Uh, we'll talk to Andy just before uh, we hand over to staff at midday because staff's working as well. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, I have no doubt the pending Rugby Women's World Cup will produce some top-quality action and high-caliber matchups as the best in the world descend on the playing grounds of the North. And there will be good attendance on key dates, day one for instance, and finals day as well, are guaranteed. Uh, the organisers may have hit on a winner with triple headers, there's obvious value for money there. The prices are extraordinarily cheap for a world event. The logistics are comparatively simple, I would imagine a whole tournament at three venues spanning a couple of hundred kilometres, no flights, just bus rides. Two thirds of the event played in our most densely populated area. The Black Ferns, our Black Ferns, played Japan on Saturday afternoon in Eden Park, a forerunner to the All Blacks of course, 
If 10% of the ground was full when they kicked off, I'd be amazed. And that worried me. And I'm sure it worried a few around the ground as well. Just how well attended overall will this prestigious event be? Will the fact that the same market is being drained game after game show signs? It's another great example and opportunity to showcase women's sport and women's rugby at its best, but empty stands and lacklustre atmospheres will not be a good look. The recent Women's World Cup of Cricket had at times disappointing numbers, but they had COVID restrictions to adhere to and to tolerate. It was exceptional in that regard, and when those restrictions freed up, the numbers of course increased. Attendance was seldom a talked about consideration, but it will be at the rugby version. I'm certain if they had their time again to plan and schedule, uh, the net would have been spread wider, further south, more encompassing, tempting a market which would be inquisitive and keen, you know, involving more young women and girls, in particular nationwide. Day one will be a bonanza, but what after begs the question. Seriously hope the answer is positive. Will you be going? Well, Canterbury have done it again. They have uh, come up with uh, a coaching combination and a squad which dominates uh, New Zealand rugby at MPC level. Currently, they are so far out in front of their conference that uh, they could take a couple of weeks off and still be in front. That's how dominant they have been. And uh, chief to that is their head coach who joins us now, uh, Marty Burke. Marty, good morning to you. G'day, mate. How's things? Yeah, pretty good, man. Uh, just looking uh, a little and finding out a wee bit about Marty Burke, actually. First year in charge as head coach as, uh, as such, Marty. But, man, uh, as far as uh, rugby goes in Christchurch or the Canterbury region, you're a lifer. You've coached just about everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I've been around. Um, but uh, Canterbury's a, a pretty special place to, to coach. And uh, as you see, there's uh, an immense amount of talent in the region. So I'm just a lucky man who gets to sort of steer it. Well, you, you know, you've had to come through uh, the ranks, Marty. I mean, I, I look back at uh, some of the sides you've coached, the Colts, Canterbury Country Colts, Darfield, Ellesmere, of course, uh, Canterbury under-19s, Canterbury Bees, Crusaders under-20, uh, the Rams from Lincoln University. Uh, you have, uh, as I said, just been a lifer with Canterbury. It must be running through your veins, Canterbury Rugby. Oh, that's probably the ones you've hollered about, the, the assistant coaches, Alex Hufford and uh, Alex, sorry, Alex Robertson and... Uh, and Craig Dunley, I've come through uh, about thirty uh, myself. So I coached by Penny for a couple of years, and then uh, made the move down to Canterbury assisted here last year. Okay, um, well I read that wrong. I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> it was something, no, no, right. something they had. It, something they had on the net. But the, yeah, as I said, though, yeah, you're right. Though the coaching system is. Let's, let's talk about your coaching mix in Alex Robertson, Craig Dunley, and Matt Todd. So, as I said, Dunners and Alex have come through pathway. Coaches have come through the, the grades and um, from the grassroots, and, and we firmly believe that uh, NPC is about as close to the community than it is to high performance. Uh, and Tony Matt Todd probably needs no introduction. Um, he's come in and led our D, and uh, he's a man in the region who just oozes mana, um, and he's no better man for us to, to, to run our defence. So, you, you, just tell us about your background in Bay of Plenty then that led to you going to Christchurch. <laughs> you know, it's a hell of a song have you got, but no, I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. There's a lot of good people, so I'd come through 
uh, the club system there coached Mount Monganui for a few years and then went to a, 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 a smaller club, if you like, uh, Arataki, where we had a little bit of success there through Division 3 uh, up into Prems. Uh, and then got an opportunity with the uh, the Bay 19s with uh, Mike Rogers. Um, and they won the national championship there. And then from there, uh, Clay McMillan gave me an opportunity to um, assist him with Bay Plenty. So, um, yeah, I've learned a lot. I know a lot of people, a lot of uh, gratitude for where I've got to. Um, on the same information um, I had uh, about your Canterbury background that wasn't there, I also read that um, had you been to you've been to America to coach, yeah? Yeah, I coached uh, New York uh, this year uh, and and last year two seasons over there, uh, and we're lucky enough to um, win the MLR this this year, uh, which was good. Uh, probably you know seeing a different side of the world and how rugby's played in different countries pretty cool, and it gave me the opportunity to try a few things that. Um, Okay, so um, tell us about um, how you found rugby in America. What could you equate the standard to back here? Oh, I'd probably say uh, lower MPC, um, yeah, lower, lower table MPC, I would say. Uh, it's growing. So the last the two years I've said definitely last year, it had come on leaps and bounds. And I think if they keep, keep a strategic approach right, uh, but they'll get some success in the future. I think there's just um, different people are pulling it in different directions. Um, athletic being, a, they're, they're unreal. Uh, probably some of the smartest men I've ever seen, but sometimes uh, we see with smarts is they, they lose their ability to be, uh, play off the cuff. Uh, they want to be really uh, structured. So uh, I'm sure they'll get there. But, yeah, really enjoyed my time. Some really good football over there. Marty, you've put together or been able to put together a, a really typically strong Canterbury squad, but uh, you have been able to introduce uh, some newer players. Tell us about uh, uh, some of the, uh, the younger players that have come into the squad uh, this, this, for this year. Yes, yeah, so I've got um, an immense amount of talent, and I think that's part of the, the process line here. There's probably stacks more that, that I've been lucky enough to see in club footy who, who don't or haven't had the opportunity uh, to get out and showcase their skills, but I mean, George Bell probably jumps out for mind, uh, a young hooker who's, who's playing really good football. Um, come through the system along with with a few others. Um, Joel Lane, a young nine who's, who's, who's been a bit of an apprentice behind um, Mitch Drummond and, and Willie Hines. And I often talk about his, uh, his learning curve that he's getting from two of the best I've seen with my own eyes, uh, teaching him day in, day out. And... Like they say, he asks about 10,000 questions, but it'll make him a better footy player in the end. Um, and then you've got yeah, some guys who have been around for a little while, but um, yeah, really proud of them in their own right, like uh, Fergus Burke, who's sort of been in behind Richie Moanga for a while and sort of passing his own um, stature of how he plays and really matured a lot in the last year. So, no, I could talk about them all. They're all uh, really great, great men and really, really caught into this year in the vision. Marty, uh, Canterbury sides, uh, it, it just seems uh, done and dusted that they have a, a handy production line of number 10s. You, you talk about uh, Fergus Burke. What about underneath Fergus? Yeah, well, Alex Harford, um, who, who played on the weekend, who um, I think to the wider rugby public, that was a bit of a surprise that he come out of nowhere. But inside of our, he was our um, Sparks player of the year. And the Spark for us is someone who comes in as a training squad, a wider member, and sets up the starting 15 to uh, to play 
Um, so he got that player there last year. He's always been in and around, and this year he's had an opportunity under a full contract. And he's he's an outstanding man. He knows knows where he sits and do anything for the team. And um, I think I was really proud on the weekend to see how he he come through and mm. and showed up to the game. A lot of the players' first acknowledgement out of the game against Auckland was how well did Harfi play, and they were really proud for him. So that's just a testament to the group we have and and the humility they have. I look at um, the other aspects of the squad, and I see names that I see pretty much throughout the whole rugby uh, calendar year because they're so heavily involved. You know, you, your Tamaiti Williams, your Ollie Yeager, your Brody McAllisters, um, your Daniel Leonard Brown out of the Highlanders, back to Canterbury. Uh, I mean, it is an incredible depth of talent uh, that you have to work with, but I guess in a way that puts pressure on you. Oh, an immense amount of pressure. I think even selecting a team this weekend took us about three hours. Um, and we probably picked four different squads, but I mean, yeah, we are, we are in, a, in a really uh, great position where we, we have a lot of good players. Um, and, and it's no Bono might have uh, mean an excuse bringing those players together and getting them playing for the same purpose. And, and the thing I really have enjoyed about these guys is their ability that they, they all want to be better rugby players and they're all open to a little bit of feedback. Um, and, and that growth mindset has been huge for us this year. So uh, we believe that, yep, while we look all right on paper, um, you've got to string some performances together where I think we've sort of let our supporters and, and, and spectators down in the, uh, over the last year, especially when I was involved. I thought um, individually and collectively we could have done a better job there. Sometimes the squad is summed up by the hunger of those experienced players and you get a guy uh, like Willie Hines who cut his teeth in Canterbury yeah. Rugby, travelled overseas... Uh, and comes back with the same passion. Then you look at uh, All Blacks or French All Blacks like George Bridge and Braden Enor, who just want to continue to be out there. So, good examples. What about Willie Hines' comeback to Christchurch? Yeah, well, Willie's, Willie's a unique individual. And I think there must be a, a, something that happens with halfbacks that make them ultra competitive. Willie's the kind of guy who'll cheat and rock, paper, scissors because he doesn't want to lose. Um, so, he'll do anything in his power to. <laughs> Is there anything to win? And that's really, um, it's really infectious. Not cheating as such, but um, doing what it takes to win. And you've got the other guys uh, who just uh, want to steer the team in the right direction. And and that's that whole that whole growth part of it. You know, Mitchell Drummond's an ultimate competitor, and those sort of guys lift the standards. And and I think that's one thing that I, another thing that I've been really proud of is how they they sort of drive each other as a coaching group. We don't want to be policemen. Like we want that to be driven from within. Um, and they seem to do that uh, really exceptionally well. Marty, uh, of course, the nucleus of, of your squad uh, mm-hmm. then become the nucleus of the Crusaders. Do you, do you have a lot of communication with Razor or the coaching staff from the Crusaders? Uh, yeah, we, we sort of operate out of the same building, so we're always having uh, a, a few interactions. And, and Razor's a, a, a pretty good man where he's been open to all. Policy, and he'll pop his head in, and been, he's been open to a few questions or challenges. Been an inexperienced coach or head coach, I'm sort of some of those what-if scenarios. Um, so he's been great. Um, it's, it's a pretty big beast. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I one that one that took me a while to get used to. Um, but I can't fault the people. The people are, are brilliant. They all they all absolutely love love their rugby, and they love being a part of the Canterbury or the Crusaders environment. Um, that being said, you know, there's always other people that you use to sort of as a sounding board and to get some advice off. So I think that's part of the fun. Like, you're 14 points clear. 
um, the way I, I read it anyway, um, Marty. And, and of course, you've got Otago this weekend at Forsyth Bar, Saturday night, 5 past 7. Um, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure whether you have announced your squad or you're about to or you haven't told your players yet, but is the temptation to just uh, to experiment a wee bit just to, to rest some players with that kind of leeway? Uh, yeah, there was massive temptation. Um, but when I, I really looked at it, what we've said from the start, our identity and, 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 and playing our best every week, week in, week out. And um, so, so we were, in my mind, we're not going to stop. We want to continue. Our points on the table don't really mean much for me to tell you the truth, Smithy, but um, we're about performancing and, and being better than we were last week because there were areas last week where we let ourselves down. Um, and we know that, and I've said it time and time before, a lot of, there's a lot of people that... that that sort of don't like the, the success of Canterbury and there's a lot of people that want to try and stop that so we have to be at our best to um, uh, so when these teams come and rugby's one of those games and anyone on their day can beat anyone and this, that's what the beauty of this competition is so we just want to ensure we keep putting our best foot forward Marty, uh, where's Cullen Grace at? Yeah, so he's an interesting one so he broke his collarbone a while back and He's uh, reintegrated in with the squad, but he, he's not—he's not, he's not going to play again this year. But he's trying to entice our medical team to strap it up and put a plate in there so he can get out there and play next week. Um, but uh, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Well, I was just asking that on behalf of the country because I think this, there's no doubt at some stage yet he'll be back in that black jersey, uh, as was uh, Matt Todd during his career. Matt Todd uh, is an interesting addition. From a coaching uh, point of view, um, you, c- you can't be much more Canterbury than Matt Todd coming back into the group. No, that was one of the big um, big drivers for Matt coming in around. Uh, what way? I'm not from Canterbury, um, and I know Craig and Alex are from Canterbury, but I also wanted someone to, to come in who's got an external manner with the players in the group. Um, and Matt's done that and the thing around Matt is his attention to detail is brilliant um, he looks after our defence and he's one of those guys that you that's exactly like when he's a player he, does, he prepares himself uh, uh, really well um, and the boys are really enjoying that um, so he's been really refreshing so, and he doesn't mind getting out on the field and mixing it up with the guys so it's perfect there's always been that perception, Marty, and you probably had it as a Bay of Plenty man as well, and I know a lot of other provinces were of the perception that Canterbury go out and poach players. You know, that's why they get their best players, their best production liners, because they go out, they they hunt the the cream of the crop down, and they bring them all to Christchurch to be on this amazing production line. Uh, is that true? I mean, do, do you look outside, or do you even do you have to? I mean, club club level rugby strong. I mean, the depth is pretty strong. <coughs> Uh, yeah, the club depth is really strong, um, but that being said, I'm not, I'm not going to sit and say they don't go and get some players out of schoolboy rugby, but I, I think at the same time, it's not just a Canterbury exercise, it's to, to get some of these guys to reach their full potential or put them into an environment where they can actually reach their full potential, and, and these are these stacks of guys that have, that have done that to go on and uh, play for Canterbury Crusaders and, and dare I say, the All Blacks, so... I mean, if I was an aspiring footy player in Canterbury Crusaders or Canterbury Rugby come knocking, uh, just the, the esteemed legacy they have, it's always at the top of the list when you, when you think about successful players and teams and coaches. So um, 
I think everyone does, but at the same aspect, people see that side of it. But there's a side of, I think at this point in time, there's probably between 18 and 25 players that are playing Heartland Rugby or for other uh, Bunnings NPC sides that, have, that play currently in Christchurch or Canterbury. So, yeah, it's, it's a big circle of life, I guess, but people are always going to say that when success happens, aren't they? They are. Uh, it's just called straight out jealousy, really, and uh, envy. But that's the thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Hey, look, we've got just got a text in, Marty. Uh, before I let you go, um, morning, Smithy. Can I ask uh, the Marty? Uh, does he think Luke Romano can go another round at super level? <laughs> yeah, well, Luke's one of those guys who can do whatever he wants to do. He's got the brain for it. I think with Luke, it's. Um, it's that rugby uh, family life balance where he's in that part of his career where he's doing a lot around with his family and and he's got this hunting business that's going on. So um, Luke's been brilliant for us uh, as a mentor. Um, but mate, you'd always take a Luke Romano if he's available. So he's got a lot of knowledge to give and he's really helped out our young guys. So I'd never rule him out, put it that way. Marty, it's been great uh, catching up, getting to, to know a wee bit more about you and... Um admire the success that you've had it's uh, it's an impressive run of results just uh, so far with only the smite hiccup uh, against Taranaki on a very wet Pukakura Park but uh, apart from that mate it's been pretty good so uh, we wish you all the best against Otago and for the remainder of the season your first one good luck no thanks Smithy appreciate your time cheers yeah cheers uh, Marty Burke who is the head coach of uh, Canterbury there with us uh, with Alex Robertson, Craig Dunley, Matt Todd there and a lot of senior players around the group that you can call on as well the likes of uh, Romano, Mitch Drummond, Willie Hines and talk about Billy Harmon, Tom Christie, Reed Princep all these guys that you just read the names off and you think super rugby if not international rugby a lot of them would have been international rugby players uh, for other countries such as the depth of Canterbury rugby their points difference is uh, outstanding. They're 14 points clear. Uh, they look untouchable in that side of things. When the, the, the relative conferences come together, odds and evens come together, we shall see. But uh, it's strong. It's very, very strong. And Marty Burke is at the helm of that. 9.24 here on SCNZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Right, 9.29, coming up to the news uh, very shortly, but uh, we will be asking for calls after that. 0800 150 is our number. Chemist Warehouse voucher for 50 bucks uh, up for grabs. Um, what about the Women's Rugby World Cup? It's uh, just over a week away now. It starts on the 8th at Eden Park with uh, the opening triple header which will be very well attended, uh, looking for a record crowd for women's rugby, and I'm sure that they will achieve that. But after that, what about after that? Uh, the fact that uh, you're living around uh, other parts of the country, does it, it makes it hard for you to get to um, those particular games. Uh, so will you be going? Uh, will, you be, um, will you be going if you're an Aucklander? If uh, you're living in Whangarei, you, you really must. It's probably the biggest thing that's coming to town in uh, Whangarei for quite some time, apart from, of course, your uh, North, uh, Northland Tanafa. But uh, it is a massive event on the world stage which will showcase the northern part of New Zealand and there should be some uh, some great stuff going on. But will you be part of it? Do you want to be part of it? Um, have you got the inclination to be part of it? Have you got the inclination to travel to it? Um, you know, Would you have gone if they had games in Christchurch, Dunedin, Wellington, Hamilton, uh, Hawke's Bay? Would you have gone uh, Bay of Plenty? 
uh, if they'd have spread the games around a wee bit more, as has been the case with traditional World Cups in the past. I know they were hamstrung a wee bit. They didn't quite know what was going on with COVID, so they had to plan conservatively. But uh, let's um, let's be honest, it's on now and flights are available, etc. Will you be going? We've got a very good side. I won't say we're the favourites. We're not the favourites. We're the second favourites. Um, will we be able to beat England? Would you go to that game? All those little things about a World Cup, a very rare event in this country and a particularly special one uh, for women's rugby and women's sport in this country. Will you go? Uh, will you make the effort to go? Uh, it's 9.31 here. We'll catch up now with uh, Araha with the news. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811 9.33 and uh, we have uh, Zade on the line from Auckland. Zade, good morning to you. You're a regular at Deedon Park. Will you be going to watch uh, the women's rugby? Um, I might get along to a game. I'm not sure about the opening game, but I might try and get along to a game, yeah? Okay. Right, uh, what, what's on your mind? Um, NRL Grand Final, I think it's I think it's Penrith to lose. You know, they're going with all the momentum. They've had a great year, a great team, and can you see them losing unless the Parramatta catches them out? But I can't, you know. Um, with Clare, Nathan Cleary, you know, Ivan Cleary, his dad coaching, you know, I just can't see it. Um, Dylan Edwards, good player, um, Steve... Stephen Crichton, you know, they've got a real good team. They've played good all year. Um, yeah, um, and um, I actually finished watching the uh, test documentary on Amazon. Um, it's a real good documentary if you're into um, cricket, about the Australian cricket team uh, retaining the ashes and obviously coming back from the uh, ball tampering. Um, but it's quite good. And I do want um, um, to talk about the NPC quickly. You were talking about a Canterbury coach before, as much as it hurts me before. Um, I think Auckland had a chance maybe to beat Canterbury the way they started last Friday, but um, they lost their momentum. They were up 10-0, but then had a yellow card for a deliberate knockdown, and they just went downhill from there. Um, but there was a guy that impressed me I haven't heard too much of, Alex Harford. Um, sounds like he had a good game, but um, if Auckland did lose to Taranaki, is there a chance that they could miss out on the playoffs, or should they still make it? Because I know North Harbour, Northland, and um, Tasman are all breathing down their necks, so I'm not sure um, if you could give me an update on the table. Okay, um, we'll do that. Yeah. We'll do that for you, Zayda. Uh, you're right, yeah, it's getting pretty cutthroat. There are some games that don't, aren't, uh, aren't that relevant this weekend, and there are games that uh, clearly are. Um, you know, but um, uh, Auckland and uh, I think Auckland are okay, aren't they? To be perfectly honest, I think Auckland are pretty okay with the whole thing. And getting back to the league, it's a one-off Zade, right? It's a one-off game, so uh, I'm not saying you chuck form out the window and you don't chuck favouritism out the window. But what you do look at is just one effort, one game. If the Eels start well, if the Eels start well, and uh, Penrith have to play catch up, then I think you'll probably find. Um, that uh, that'll be a different game, a different game of rugby league because all bets are on Penrith, um, and I I think uh, that makes Parramatta a very very dangerous proposition. I remember Vossi saying to us 
about um, a month and a bit ago uh, on his Monday link with us, he said, look, Penrith are this kind of side that could lose tomorrow but still win the grand final. I'll never forget he said that because that's what they like, and now they've got the opportunity to do that. Um, and Zay, just looking at that points table, uh, Canterbury 41, North Harbour 27, Auckland 25, Tasman 24, uh, Auckland are through, um, and now they have the opportunity, if they can, to leap through North Harbour, which would give them a home advantage. So uh, that would be an Eden Park occasion for you. Uh, thanks very much for your call, mate. Um, so keep an eye on that. John from Auckland, morning to you, John. Yeah, morning, morning, Smithy. Hey, um, the Women's World Cup, I think it was scheduled for last year, so they were proposing that it would only be played in Auckland and Whangarei because of the mm. COVID situation at the time. Um, yep. Needless to say, it should have been played all around New Zealand, but in saying that, this is a beautiful opportunity for the far north to host something. It doesn't really get to host anything in New Zealand, really, uh, besides the Northland rugby matches um, and some concerts. But, um, you know, most of your listeners may have not been to the far north, beautiful part of the country. I know you've been there many a times to uh, mm. footy games and to the cricket ground right next to Okara Park. Um, so, yeah, it's a beautiful region, probably some of the best beaches in New Zealand. I know you'd probably differ because you're from the East Coast. Um, so I think <laughs> it's a great opportunity for New Zealanders to come to the upper North Island. And saying that, 50% of the population live from Tauranga upwards. And then that's only a two-hour drive, and then the Hawke's Bay is a five-hour drive from Auckland. So the majority of New Zealanders live quite close to that region. Um, but for our South Island listeners, you know, get up here. We love you. You're part of our country, and, and just get behind the girls. What do you reckon, Smithy? Oh, look, yeah, I'm with you, John, uh, totally on that. Um, um, I am 100% with you on that. And, you know, for me, it, it, you know, I can do that. Uh, you know, I can hop in a car or I can hop on a plane and do that. Not a lot of New Zealanders can, though, unfortunately, at the moment. And that that makes it just a, a little bit of out of reach. And uh, I know that uh, they had uh, to plan for these things in advance. World Cups just don't happen overnight. They are years and years and years in the making and the planning. Uh, and I, I guess they took the safe way out at that point. Had they had their time over again, I would imagine they would have liked to have spread the net a lot wider than they could you know I, I even even at the last minute you know when I say the last minute at a later time they could have gone as far south even as uh, Waikato uh, to the beautiful Bay of Plenty um, and, and stretched it a little bit further uh, Rotorua of course is another one uh, even taken the odd game maybe to uh, to Taupo um, you know they, they could have encompassed a lot and, and in that catchment area uh, John, they would have incorporated a lot more young girls, a lot more um, you know, teenage uh, women as well who are looking, uh, young women who are looking to perhaps get interested in playing rugby. And that was, that I think um, is where they've, they've slightly missed the boat here. Yeah, I mean, they'll be beautiful. There'll be, there will be some good crowds. There will be some beautiful shots too of the, of the far north. They'll, they'll do it well in that respect. It's just the reach is not, it's not typical World Cup, if you know what I mean, John. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there, Smithy, but, you know, it is what it is right now. Um, but just on mm. the women's game, it's, it's the fastest-growing um, part of rugby in our country. So New Zealanders need to get out there because the women's game is absolutely thriving while the men's game is kind of a bit of a bit stale. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, mate. And just quickly before I go, I think the Panthers mm. will win by 14. They've been the best team all year. They're pretty much the All Blacks of Rugby League. And, yeah, go the Panthers. Cheers. Oof. 
Boy, okay, John, they'd want to be better than the All Blacks. These All Blacks of Rugby League, I can promise you that. Um, right, okay, uh, I, I, agree. I get your sentiment though, and uh, the smart money will be on them. On them, smart money will be on them, John. You're dead right. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, uh, it is a one-off, an absolute one-off. And uh, Zaino, I imagine, uh, from the beautiful Parapara Umu, uh, will be uh, having a cursory glance at the uh, NRL Grand Final. Uh, Zane, but what about the Women's World Cup? Oh, well, we're just walking down the seventh at the moment. Um, a little bit breezy. <laughs> hey, um, on the Women's World Sorry. Cup, for me, I'm struggling to get a gauge about rugby in general, other than the ABs. So, honestly, it's tough. And my kids, I've got a nine-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old son. They have absolutely no interest in any form of rugby or rugby league. Um, so it's a, it's a tough one. I think like while the girls, or oh, the ladies, I should say, numbers are, are growing as players, I don't think it's a spectator sport yet. So I think they, they missed the boat by not at least spreading it around so they got the novelty factor. You know, you go and play it at Wanganui or somewhere and you're going to get people there. But game after game up in Auckland, not a smart idea. Yeah, I, 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 I think you're right. And I, I, what I worry about here, um, Zane, is that, that you know, you'll, you'll just go to the well a, a wee bit too often. Um, you know, some of these games will be classic encounters and some of them won't be. And I suppose it's typical of most World Cups. And, um, you know, when you, run a, um, when you have a World Cup in a place like New Zealand, of course, without the population that other countries have, like a, a United Kingdom or something, where everything's so accessible to millions and millions of people, you always run that risk of numbers. Uh, so I suppose they, they know that in the back of their mind. I think they're just, you know, they, they're trying to tell us we should like the game like you call it just before. It's a growing sport. It, it doesn't engage me, I've got to be honest. Like, NPC rugby these days, I haven't watched the game in years. So how can I get excited about women's rugby when I don't actually know any of the players? So, you know, per, personal choice and all that. But I think if you'd taken it out to rural areas, engage with the primary schools, giving them free tickets, you would have got someone there. But whether they've got the population to do that over the Auckland or greater Auckland area, who knows, mate. Um, okay. On the rugby league, yeah. Uh, yes, I think it comes down to if um, the Panthers can continue to protect Cleary, he kicks early, they win. Um, if they can pressure him like Queensland did in the third state of origin, they might have a chance. But I look at um, Parramatta's got some really awesome individual players. The, Pan the Panthers are just an awesome team. They play as a team. They've got class across the field. They would have to play bad and Parramatta to play out of their uh, skins to win. But who knows, I'd be happy if they did for Brad, Brad Arthur. You know, he gets the Fozzie treatment every second week on NRL 360, saying he should get chopped because he hasn't won a final. So I'm happy either way, mate. OK. Hey, Zane, so it, it, is that a pass for uh, the seventh? Is that back into the southerly, is it? Oh, no, we've got a bit of a northerly behind us, mate. Just a 310-yard baby drive here and a all good, mate. Thank you very much. Uh, play well, play well, and uh, we'll um, take uh, more calls tomorrow here on SENZ when we uh, ask for to open the line. Uh, interesting. Uh, not a lot of response. Um, just a couple of callers uh, about the Women's World Cup. It's 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 an interesting gauge, actually. Uh, we'll continue actually um, to look at that. Um, in fact, we've still got to. Have we got time for Joey, or should we take a break and come back for Joey? We'll take a break. Uh, take a break. If Joey wants to be patient, uh, we'll talk to Joey as well from Auckland. Uh, it's 9.44. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa.
This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.49 and uh, back to the lines. And uh, Joey, good morning to you, Joey. Thanks for being patient. Yeah, good afternoon. Look, um, just on the NRL, I think it's Penrith, Penrith to lose. Um, they've been, they're the best side by, even though um, Parramatta have beaten them twice this year. You know, they've got to play badly, I think, to lose. Clary uh, is uh, probably the only million-dollar player, in my opinion, um, that you'd pay a million bucks for. Um, and he's got other guys. If he if he starts to struggle a little bit, he's got the captain, he and um, uh, the the 5'8 as well that can that can produce stuff around him and, and the fullback as well. I know Parramatta have got some good players, but some great players too. But uh, Moses, if he cut Mo- Moses the halfback down. I think you can cut out a lot of their um, their attack, and just on the women's um, the women's game, Smithy, uh, the rugby, um, we we've we've improved massively. I think we got into a little bit of a, um, a lull there, or or just a bit stale uh, before Smithy took over, and um, he's got them going really well. But um, we haven't really been challenged in our defence. You know, uh, we've played you know we played a side that was not not great on the weekend. You know, beat them by. Um, 95, 12, whatever. You know that's a little bit worrying when we come up against these really top sides. Um, but their attack, you just don't have to worry about that. He's got them flying. And just on the last thing, um, uh, we've in, with the All Blacks, we've introduced a, a guy um, in Geordie Barrett. Uh, reminds me a lot of uh, Bruce Robertson. Uh, I know he's playing second five, not centre, but um, the way he played on the weekend, we've got a real danger now. Uh, it just makes me wonder whether two of us, Sheck, would have to go on the tour at the end of the year and he would have to play very, very well because you've got Leonard Brown, you've got Harvili, you've got Quinn Tupia, now you've got Geordie Barrett. I don't think if, if two of us, Sheck, doesn't play well on this tour, uh, and I think he'll go on it, I don't think he'll be an all-black and he may well go back to rugby league. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, uh, Joey, I think. He's not um, he's not a young man in that sense, and uh, his options I think are running out uh, in that regard. I, I think I take your point there, Bruce from Christchurch. Good morning to you, Bruce. <clears throat> yes, Smithy. Uh, two quick points. One, I I heard uh, read a thing about the um, demise of uh, the English rugby um, clubs very recently, and the huge amount of um, tax that they they owe the. Uh, constabulary and and uh, I guess the poorly perhaps poorly managed or the the whole setup is taking a real dive. You know some of the real top clubs, um, Wasps and um, Worcester, I see, is shut down for the moment. That, that, that's a real problem for English rugby. Um, I, I know COVID's interrupted a lot of it, but they they are really having a big look at how they're running it and how how they're I guess letting uh, I guess too many of their English players play away overseas and they're saying it's it's interrupted by the international scene a lot as well so it's quite funny how they um, you know they, what what eggs they actually want and what basket and how that's going to work out um, and one other point I'm thrilled for Daniel Hillier. Um, I see he's yeah. won this um, latest event, and he's jumped the 13th, I think. And 
all going well, he'd be on that playing on that European tour next year. It would be absolutely fantastic. Very talented, twenty-four-year-old, and um, you know. Great point, Bruce. Yeah, I think he's a, a real quality act. He's been floating around and threatening this for quite some time. Um, I appreciate your call, Bruce. Uh, thank you very much uh, for that. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on those English rugby clubs. That's been around a while, that stuff. Um, and always under pressure, uh, it feels, with the high price they pay for their players in particular. It is uh, 9.54. Quick break, and we'll be back with a multi before 10. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, we got a nice little $5.51 up yesterday. The Cowboys beat the Giants. Greece beat Northern Ireland this morning and South Africa beat Botswana overnight. So $5.50 there. Tonight there is uh, NPC action. The Bay of Plenty have got a 6.5 start to give away to Northland at $1.87. So we'll take that. Bay of Plenty minus 6.5 at $1.87. Uh, the White Ferns to beat the West Indies at $1.50. First of T20 internationals tomorrow morning. And uh, Atlanta Braves beat the Washington Nationals later this afternoon in the Major League Baseball as well. So uh, that will multi out at $4.03. Bay of Plenty minus 6.5. The White Ferns into uh, Atlanta Braves, and that comes out at $4.03. And on the subject of the White Ferns, we shall be talking to one of their star players, one of our greatest ever, one of the greatest the world's ever seen, and Susie Bates, just after the break, out of Antigua. Uh, where that first uh, T20 international against the West Indies will be played uh, at the Sir Vivian Richards Stadium. Uh, where they're playing all their matches, to be fair. We'll be back soon. 14.76am in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Then gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 10.03 here, New Zealand time, of course. Uh, it's a lot different uh, in the Caribbean where we found find our next guest, uh, Susie Bates, one of the greatest women cricketers that has ever graced the planet with uh, a record to match. Uh, part of the White Ferns, of course, who are on tour over there and uh, spending most of their time in Antigua. Uh, fresh off a 2-1 series win in the One Day Internationals, they begin five T20 Internationals tomorrow at the Sir Vivian Richards Stadium Antigua, in Antigua. So we'll catch up with the Susie Bates now. Susie, good morning to you. Good morning, Smithy. Hey, how do you, you get, must be getting to know Antigua pretty well. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're getting to know uh, Sir Vivian Richards Stadium and Pineapple Beach Resort pretty well, but um, we haven't done much in between that but the um, Pineapple Beach Resort um, there's plenty to do here and lots of beach time but lots of games at um, Sir Vivian Richards and training and the conditions have been really good so far other than a, a minor storm but uh, yeah if we get to go again tomorrow. Yeah of course that was um, an abbreviated uh, to an extent or a readjusted tour because of um, Fiona, um, so uh, let's hope that uh, you get through unscathed from the rest of it. And uh, because of that, you, you come through that uh, one-day international series with a 2-1 series win. you happy with that? It would have been nice to have finished off that last game. I thought 
having a few extra days over here to train probably helped us in the start of the series and just getting used to batting in these conditions in particular and yeah well, they were low scoring matches and you know there were a few uh chases that we would have liked to have finished off sooner and the other day we were probably you know 20 to 40 runs short I think 200 on that wicket would have been very defendable um but we gave our best with the ball and yeah just disappointing that we didn't quite finish off the series how we would have liked you mentioned uh Sir Vivian Richards Stadium of course uh, and that's the venue uh, which means um, I, I would imagine you're playing a lot of repeat matches on the same surface. H- how's it, how does it hold up? And how, what do you think the prospects are for like T20 cricket on that? Yeah, we've had a good chat about that today, just what we think is a pass score. And we played the first two one-dayers on one wicket and then we played on a, a new wicket the last one day and it actually didn't turn as much as the initial wicket and skidded on a bit better. So... Yeah, we are talking as a group in 2020 cricket. Our benchmark is sort of that 160 mark, but perhaps mm. over here we have to consider that, you know, 130, 140 keeps us in the game with a bit of slowness in the wicket and it's the second game on this wicket and depending on what they decide to do for the rest of the series, we, we sort of find out the day of the game what wicket we're on. <laughs> Susie, oh, that's interesting. Uh, Susie, um <laughs> What about uh, if we, we look at the pace of the pitch, if we look at the bounce of the pitch, how, how does it compare to like New Zealand conditions that uh, you'd be used to? Yeah, you just don't quite get that steep bounce and carry, so the ball tends to just hold in the wicket a little bit, so we have found a lot of people getting caught out at extra cover point because we're just a bit early on our shots, so... There is reasonable consistency in terms of that, but yeah, it just tends to not get through with the same pace. So it is hard to you know, get the timing for your cuts and pull shots because the ball just holds in the wicket. So we have talked about really making sure we hold our shape and like Mike Shrimpton used to say back in the day, time on the ball and making sure that we, we stay you know, with good cricket shots for as long as possible. How's the uh, development of the, the younger players going uh, along, Susie? Because it's an important tour as we transition from experience uh, and getting some of that youth through. So how, how are the younger players developing along, do you feel? Yeah, well, we're really happy with how our middle order stepped up, especially in game two and three. I thought, although... You know, they're not necessarily young, but they're, they're inexperienced at international level. And the way um, Lauren Down and Brooke Halliday batted, we we're really impressed with. And Georgia Plimmer actually came in and on a tough wicket, batted really well at number seven. So, look, it's work in progress. And the more exposure they get to these types of conditions, um, the, the better we're going to be as a group. But I think I've been most impressed with Fran Jonas, our left arm spinner, the wickets have suited her, but her and Amelia Kerr have, have been two of our best bowlers. So, look, there's improvements, and it's, it is about getting as much depth as we can while still trying to win cricket games. And Leah Tahuhu back in the mix after missing out on a, a contract initially, getting getting in through, um, you know, uh, defection, etc. So, um, Leah's uh, appetite for the games, is it uh, there as much as it was? Yeah, I think anyone that knows Leah Tahu who knows she's always played with 
the bit between her teeth and more than ever now I think you know she really wants to prove her worth and so far every time she's bowled since being reselected um, she's really performed and these wickets don't necessarily suit her so she's working really hard to to find different ways to take wickets and and be more of a container with the spinners so yeah she's hungrier than I've ever seen her. What about Susie Bates what about the hunger that uh, is within (laughs) Susie Bates? Yeah, I think for me, after the World Cup and um, the disappointment of missing out on the final stages, um, I took a really long look at where I wanted to go and what I felt I had left to achieve. And I think by having COVID and shoulder injury, I really felt like I had more to give to the game after having a break. And then with the new coach and new support staff, I feel you know, really reinvigorated and look, I think at my age you kind of just take it one tour at a time and I just want to make sure every game I go out there that I'm trying to contribute and when I don't feel like I can do that, um, I think that's when, I, when I'll when i know but at the moment I feel like I can still contribute with the bat, I'm trying to contribute with the ball but um, we won't say much about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm still loving playing and loving trying to help these young players develop. Well, you know, your body language reflects that. I mean, you you seem really to, um, if I look at you, you seem to be enjoying the, you know, the the game. And still, the smile on your face is so apparent. Your support um, for the group is uh, so apparent. So, quite clearly, um, you know, you've still got a bit to achieve as such. Yeah, I think one thing for me is the World Cups. Um, I've always felt like we go into each tournament with the potential to win and we've never been able to do that in my career. And every World Cup event I go to, that's the motivation. And so there's a couple, you know, maybe left in me and whether that's 2020 or 50 over, um, it doesn't really matter. But being around this young group, um, that you know, they sort of bring that joy back out in me and I feel like a kid again. So I find it very easy to enjoy the game. That's never really been an issue for me and um, I think I'll continue that until I stop. I, I've never I had a phase where I haven't enjoyed it. So I guess I'm lucky in that I'm still able to do what I love and my body's allowing me to do that. Well, you're a very busy uh, cricketer. Um, because, of course, you play in a number of competitions around the world and you've just uh, signed with the Sydney Sixers after stints with uh, Adelaide and Perth. So, And that looks a pretty strong side, Sydney. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, you know, when you get later on in your career, you look at franchise crickets and you make sure you're signing with good teams. <laughs> you know, that's uh, key to having success later in your career. But it's always been a team that I've been intrigued by and, you know, they're one of the teams when you play against them you dislike a lot. So now I'm, I'm in pink and playing with some of the best players in the world and they've put together a really well-balanced side and the addition of Sophie Eccleston, the best left-arm spinner in the world, um, it's going to be a pretty handy group to be a part of. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to that new challenge, I think, as well. It's all about refreshing yourself and playing in different environments with different coaches, and that keeps you going. And you'll be opening the batting with uh, Alyssa Healy, which will be interesting. (laughs) It should be a bit of fun. I feel like she scores a lot of runs against me, so it'll be nice to stand down the other end and, and watch your belt bowling attacks rather than be on the other side of it. But, yeah, it will be an interesting partnership. I don't know her that well off the field, to be fair. So looking forward to getting to know her and, and hopefully we can, you know, put together some good partnerships and help the Sixers win some games. You also play uh, extensively in uh, the UK as well, Susie. 
Um, and recently with the uh, Oval Invincibles, the 100, tell us about the 100 competition and the success that you had there. What about 100 cricket? It's a, it's a form of the game that we've heard about from this far away. Haven't really seen too much of it. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, it was really interesting. I, I went into that competition as a wild card. They had a, a new initiative of uh, making sure that each team had a reserve overseas player because last year I think there was a lot of injuries which affected teams. So ended up uh, playing every game and captaining, which was pretty unexpected. But I remember watching it last year at home in New Zealand and seeing the crowds in the final at Lords and thinking in my career it was something I wanted to be a part of. And the second game, captaining the 100 format, I can't say I was a huge fan because it felt just so chaotic with um, how fast it went but I think once I settled and got into it you realise it's just like any other cricket match and the decisions you make as captain are based on the flow of the game and the crowds and children that come to watch it just absolutely love it so the atmosphere at all the grounds I played at was something I've never experienced as a female cricketer so I can only say good things about the format and as a batter, opening the batting, um, it just feels like 2020 cricket, um, although you can get a little bit starved of the strike at times. But, yeah, it was a very interesting experience. Let's look at the other uh, side of the spectrum as well, and that is women's test cricket. Um, what about that for Susie Bates, um, a, a test 100, a test double 100, etc.? Is that, is that something you've thought about or have you basically, uh, the fact that New Zealand doesn't appear to be interested or hasn't been invited to is that sort of something that you've given up on? Yes and no. I, yeah, I guess part of me, and you'll understand, as as a cricketer, you want to test yourself, you know, at the the highest level. And I feel Test match cricket is can be the pinnacle. And although it hasn't been in the women's game, I just think it's a real missed opportunity. And even in one day cricket, playing in these conditions, we talk so much about making sure we were playing with the spin, every single ball under our eyes. And in Test Match Cricket, you learn to do that on a day five wicket. And I just think some of our, our younger batters and bowlers, you know, lose the art of being able to be patient with what they do with their skills. So, look, I think there's a massive opportunity. Now the women's game's grown that we can bring it back. But, yeah, by the sounds of things, New Zealand cricket are investing in the shorter format. So unless... I get invited to play somewhere else. It, it looks unlikely, but I feel like there is a future. Um, and I know Australia and England are about to play a five-day test match in the Ashes, which is awesome to see. Yeah, I, and this is one of the reasons I brought it up, because I, I think it's, it's something that perhaps shouldn't, shouldn't be written off. And I'm not saying you have to play um, a series uh, every year. I, I just think that uh, it's a form of the game that um, I, I think the women should be allowed to experience as well, because as you say... Um, it tests you to the best and, and you get a lot of satisfaction out of it uh, which leads me to um, Otago availability so what's on the program after this, uh, this stint in Antigua for Susie Bates yeah we just keep on rolling um, I think we, I get back for one night to Auckland and then I'm on the plane to Sydney to join the Sixers and have you know six weeks of that tournament and then when we get back to New Zealand we have a series against Bangladesh and then into the Super Smash with the Otago Sparks so 
Craig Cummings should be happy that he has me for the Super Smash. And I think pretty much <laughs> straight after that, we head off to South Africa for the 2020 World Cup. So it just keeps on rolling. Yeah, well, he, he listens to the show, and I, I know that he pinches himself every morning knowing that yeah, he's so lucky that he's got you on his team. <laughs> well, that's not what he tells me, so I'll make sure I remind him of that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, look, uh, how's the water temperature in Antigua? Yeah, it's pretty warm. It's sort of, um, I shouldn't really complain, but when it's so hot outside, you get in the water hoping to kind of cool down, but it's bath temperature, so it is nice, and we're sort of getting acclimatised now, but yeah, I'm probably in my um, happiest place when I can go to the beach in the morning, have a swim, and then go to cricket in the afternoon. So um, I'm not complaining that we're here for almost four weeks. Yeah, well, it's just as well you're doing it for nothing. You're not getting paid for it then, if you make it sound that good. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I did a few years without getting paid too much, so I'll, I'll make the most of it. <laughs> good on you. Hey, good on you, Susie. Always great to catch up. I just love the way you approach the game and your happiness for it. Uh, hey, stay safe and well over there, and uh, good luck with uh, this series coming up, and uh, we'll also uh, keep an eye on you throughout the, the BBL and the Super Smash and every other darn thing that you play as well. Good luck, uh, and uh, stay safe. I will do. Thanks. Thanks, Ian. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Susie Bates there with us uh, out of Antigua, uh, living the life. Um, and I can tell you, um, Antigua is a pretty interesting spot, particularly if you've got a good hotel. And uh, of course, you can. There's always that thing too at the end of the day that you you know you're in the field or whatever, um, win, lose or draw. You've always got that uh, chance of a swim when you get back. Swim in the morning um, just refreshes you. Uh, and you got to pinch. You do. You, you just have to pinch yourself every now and then and think, "Gee, was this is not too bad." Doing this for a living as well. It is ten eighteen here on SENZ. Uh, we'll have a panel very shortly. Uh, one of New Zealand's best beach bodies is on that, and Andrew Gordy. We'll uh, check uh, check him out very shortly. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions. The panel. Right, today our panel consists of our very own Sam Hewitt, who is uh, poised in the studio, ready to go. He's got a massive afternoon as well to talk about, uh, of course, the NRL Grand Final coming up uh, this week, so Sam just can't sleep out of excitement. And we've got uh, Andrew Gordy, who I hope is sleeping better after uh, a back surgery, of course, and uh, getting himself uh, back in shape so he can spend summer at the beach with his uh, lovely family. Gords, good morning to you. Um, how are you feeling, morning, first of all? Yeah, not too bad, thanks, mate. Not too bad. Yeah, we've, uh, what are we, sort of five weeks post-surgery now, and yet we're, we're up and about and uh, feeling a lot better now, thanks. So I won't be whipping down the, uh, you know, 135-kilometre-an-hour thunderbolts anytime soon, but, but that's all right. I think those days are probably gone anyway. Oh, you reckon? Okay, so more like a gentle little right arm over about, what, uh, 80k? Left, left arm over, Smithy. Left arm oh, over. I probably a, a, a wannabe, I was a wannabe Trent Bolt back in the day, but never, never got close, frankly, to to achieving mm. that kind of status. But um, yeah, dibbly dobblies oh. now. I never took you for a left armour, to be fair. I don't know why that is, uh, Gords. <laughs> anyway, anyway, let's move right along. Um, okay, so Eden Park uh, hosted. Uh, the rugby uh, at the weekend, and there was a, a nice uh, tempting double header there that in the end was very well supported. But I was a little bit concerned, I've got to say, that uh, the numbers were just uh, a bit thin for 
the black ferns initially. Maybe it was because it's Japan. Maybe people were keeping uh, their powder dry in terms of uh, the Women's World Cup. But I do so hope it is well supported. Yeah, absolutely. Andrew. Absolutely, Smithy. I mean, yeah, yeah. Sorry, mate. Sorry, I wasn't sure if you were going to say I'm right there. But yeah, no, absolutely. And it is, it is a wee bit of a concern, isn't it? And I think, um, you know, you would like to think, like you say, that when the, when the Women's Rugby World Cup starts, it will be well supported and well promoted. I think that's probably the, the key aspect here. Um, I'm not sure how well promoted the, the double header necessarily was on the weekend. And I think sometimes, too, it's, it's a, it's, for some people who are turning up to watch, let's be fair, the, the All Blacks uh, up against the Wallabies, I think it's a big ask sometimes to ask to ask spectators to go along for what turns into what are we talking? Maybe maybe about four to five hours at Eden Park. Mm. I know you sort of you do that when you go and watch a game of cricket, for example. But it's a completely different mindset, isn't it? I think when when people have the mindset, I'm going to watch the All Blacks and you know kicking off at sort of seven seven thirty kind of thing. Um, they probably go and have a have a meal, have a few drinks at a few bars kind of thing, and then make their way to the game. Um, and look, we we've We've all been sort of uh, going on for, for how many years now about how, you know, sometimes the the, the quality of the, the food and beverage sort of selection um, that's on offer at uh, at any stadium around the country is one not exactly great and b quite expensive. Um, isn't doesn't make it sort of an appealing prospect I think for for those fan, those walk up fans who are coming along to the game. So yeah, I'm not quite sure necessarily, Smithy, that the double header concept works from the spectator or the fans' perspective. It might work from the administrator's point of view, um, but I'm not sure it works the other way around. Sam Hewitt, uh, good morning to you. Um, it, I, I find it a little bit of a concern because um, because of uh, what they were coping with initially, they've sort of painted themselves into a very northern corner here, geographically. Um, and whilst it's a quite a dense, densely populated part of the country, particularly in the Auckland area, uh, I just wonder. I'm a, bit, I'm a little bit concerned about what it might look like. Yeah, I think um, Auckland. It's interesting you bring up the geographical thing because I think Auckland, you know, generally does struggle with crowds. I mean, even you know, with Warriors, unless you're diehard a diehard fan, or if they're winning, um, you know, they don't get a massive crowds at Mount Smart either. Um, there could be a results thing, obviously, but I, I do think that Auckland, because it's so big, such a big catchment area, there's obviously lots to do in Auckland. Um, you know, on a Saturday night, it, it might be further down a lot of people's list, whereas in the regions, we know that, you know, there might not be much happening on a Saturday evening, and so you tend to get a lot more parochial support at, at the ground. So um, I'd like to think with the, with the World Cup, Smithy, that um, some of those more regional areas are, are, are going to be the ones that probably impress us the most, which probably isn't surprising. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I think that's probably where the the, the majority of the interest is going to lie. Yeah, well, the regions basically are uh, Whangarei, of course, and Waitakere. Uh, if you get away from Eden Park, so uh, let's just um, let's just uh, look at, at uh, that when it comes about in the next. Uh, well, from the eighth onwards. Uh, but good news for women's rugby in terms of coaching, Sam, because uh, Crystal Koav will be coaching Chief Samanawa. Victoria Grant will be coaching the Hurricanes Poor, uh, taking over from uh, Alan Bunting, uh, of course, who uh, was very much uh, a part of it 
um, and where's Clark? So that's good news because uh, that's what they're crying out for, women at the helm. Yeah, 100%. I think it's awesome. Obviously, um, some like Victoria Grant, who I think was assistant last year, it's sort of just a natural progression into into the head coaching role. So they're starting to, I guess, develop that competition. They've extended it out as well. I think just with the backdrop of a World Cup, Smithy, um, you know, I think they've got a real chance to, to to push this. I think the World Cups, you know, it's, it is going to be really important. I mean, as, as someone who... I'm not going to say I'm, I'm a sort of neutral observer, but um, I'm excited about it, but I'm not, I guess, as frothing as, as perhaps some other rugby pundits out there are. If it's if it does really do well and there are big crowds and um, people do really get in behind it and the support's there, then that is just the perfect recipe for O-picking next year, I think, because you'll get a lot of you know young uh, females who will see the World Cup and p- perhaps get into rugby, then they'll have more exposure you know, through the Super Rugby, uh, through Super Rugby Opiki in February next year, I think that's it's just the perfect um, place for it to sit, rather than you know waiting a year or a year and a half or two years before getting it underway. I think they've sort of timed this perfectly. So um, I think it's fantastic that um, that Crystal and uh, Victoria have got those head coaching roles. I think that just sort of furthers the credentials of the competition as well. And the one reason it does, uh, Gords, is because. Of course, uh, you know Wayne Smith is here for this mission only, and then afterwards, what? What? What is the? What's the production line? Yeah, that, that's exactly it, Smithy. And, and I really think that you know when Super Rugby Opiki was launched, I, I think it, it must have been it must have been a source of uh, embarrassment. Might be a strong word, but you can't tell me that those in, in power at New Zealand Rugby were happy with the fact that they were launching this fantastic new women's rugby competition um, and there were four men uh, as, as the head coaches and, and let's be clear like there's, there's a really important sort of uh, marketing and, and perception issue that's created there because let's face it you know who, who do you hear most from uh, with any rugby team it's always really the coach isn't it uh, you, you obviously hear from the from the players um, you know post match and things like that but the most common person you hear from, um, when it comes to fronting, fronting media during broadcasts and media conferences, it's, it's the coach. And so you've got to see it to be it. And so I think it's extremely important, um, and I'm really pleased to see this and these announcements this morning uh, in relation to Crystal and Victoria because it, it really does set something for, for young women, I suppose, um, who are in the game to aim for in future. And as you quite rightly point out, you know, we've had Glenn Moore previously, now we've got Wayne Smith, um, and I'm sure Wayne Smith himself would like to think that he's almost, uh, not a placeholder, but I think he would like to think that the person who follows him, um, you know, in that role will be a woman. Mm, very interesting. OK, we'll take a short break uh, for the news with uh, Araha, and when we come back, more for Sam Hewitt and Andrew Gordy to discuss as part of the panel. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Uh, 10.34, we've got Andrew Gordy with us this morning and uh, also Sam Hewitt. And uh, I've got to say, Sam Hewitt, if I'm Joseph Parker... Um, I'm thinking about giving it away, not fighting Dillian White, aren't I? <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think um, probably those comments post-fight, Smithy, were probably just a little bit of adrenaline, you know, a little bit of um, a little bit too fresh after getting a pretty bad beating um, from Joe Joyce. I think he's just probably just trying to keep his name relevant in the uh, in the immediate future. But I think really, it's probably not a it's probably not a terrible fight for him to take, but. 
I think he probably just needs a little bit of a break. Maybe he takes sort of an interim fight. Someone who's top 20, but um, you know, isn't going to offer a, 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 as big a challenge as someone like that. But but I think um, I still, you're listening to a lot of pundits over the last, I'm not a boxing aficionado by any stretch, Smithy, but listening to a few pundits over the last few days, you know, a lot of people still have faith that Joe has potential, you know, to, he's still got a lot of talent. Um, he's still, you know, not young, but but he's got years in the tank in terms of a heavyweight. Um, and if he did beat someone like Dillian Watt, I think that sort of still puts him back into that sort of top five um, realm. So um, I'm sort of not against it, but I think the dust probably just does need to settle a little bit from his fight on Sunday where he did take a pretty bad beating. I'm sure you were pretty sore after your operation, Andrew Gordy. In fact, I saw photos of it, but you didn't look... I'll be honest, you didn't look as beaten up as Joe. <laughs> and I looked yeah. at him and I thought, Joe, Joe, there's probably a gym with your name on it somewhere around the joint. Uh, settle down, <laughs> son. Settle down. Yeah, look, this is a really interesting one for me, Smithy. Look, I mean, if we just go through a couple of aspects of this. Look, yes, Joe took a bad beating. There's no question about it on the weekend. And it was it was tough to see him get knocked out in such a manner. I mean, that was a that was a brutal knockout. But I'm going, to, I'm going to sort of present the, the case for Joe continuing here, I suppose. I think you only had to take a, you only had to be a casual observer on social media on the weekend to realise that Joe actually earned a lot of respect on the weekend. He took a great deal of punishment. And one thing you can say about Joe, look, my, my personal opinion, I don't think Joe has the, the tools to become a heavyweight world champion. I, I, I don't think he's in the same class as Alexander Usyk, Tyson Fury, if he comes back and fights again. Um, probably not Anthony Joshua and, and, and probably not Joe Joyce, obviously, as well. But look, he took 11 rounds of brutal punishment. You cannot question the guy's chin um, and, until, obviously, he, he got knocked out in the 11th round. But look, age is not a factor here. Joe is still relatively young. Let's, let's remember, he got knocked out by a 37-year-old man on the weekend. Um, he's still relatively young in the boxing game, and the only thing really that is stopping Joe from an age perspective is himself. He's the one that has said all along that he wants to end his career by the time he's 30. Well, he's here now. He's 30 now. So it'll be really interesting, I think, for me to see if Joe Parker himself decides whether to go back on his word um, or, or stick to it. If, if he sticks to his word, he, he's, he's essentially done. Um, but I kind of get the sense that he still wants to be in this game um, for whatever reason, and only he will know the answer to that. But as well, too, like he's, he's got a record of, I think it's 30 and 3 now. He's got the same number of losses on his record as Anthony Joshua. Now, is anyone else writing off Anthony Joshua saying he's finished and he should retire? I, I'm, I'm not really seeing or hearing that um, anywhere suggested. And Heavyweight boxing, or, or boxing at any level, the weight category doesn't really matter. Um, just because you're not the heavyweight champion, or perhaps not even you know considered a heavyweight or, or a world championship prospect, doesn't mean there's not a career for you. You know there are plenty of boxers out there who, are, you know, this is their career, this is their life. Um, and I don't know, I just sort of I, I get uncomfortable with people sort of saying, "Oh, Joe should retire now just because he took a bad loss." People come back from bad losses. I mean. Yeah, you know, I, I sort of always look at the Andrew Ruiz example. You know, Andrew Ruiz lost a world title to Joseph Parker, and you know, some people are saying that Joseph Parker, you know, shouldn't be called a world champion. Well, he won the belt, but anyway, um, he beat Andrew Ruiz, who went, then went out and caused one of the greatest upsets in boxing history uh, to win all the belts mm. against Anthony Joshua. So I think it's really dangerous to completely write off 
a boxer just because he suffers a defeat. And I think there's been, you know, the, the history of boxing is littered with examples like this. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that Joseph Parker should retire. If he decides that that's what he wants to do, then, then all power to him. But if he equally, if he decides that there's, he still wants to be in this game and he can still, you know, make a career for himself, then he absolutely can. There are those fights out there and he can continue fighting really for as, as long as he's, as long as he likes. And I think as long as his body will allow him to. Sam Hewitt uh, is uh, with us, of course. And Sam, uh, speaking of write-offs, would we dare write off the Eels? Would we? Um, are you an Eels fan, Gordy? I'm, mate, I'm not an Eels fan. Okay. Um, uh, uh, yeah. I, I just <laughs> needed to it. check. I just needed to check, Smithy. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really give them any chance at all. And um, like Eels fans are going to be very um, annoyed at me saying that. I think. You know, the Panthers are last year a team that wanted to get the, the hoodoo off the back, obviously win a title. They lost the year to, before to the Storm. Um, they managed to get it done. And this season, I think what you've seen from, from Penrith is a much more mature side that didn't let the emotion of winning a title get to them like it does for so many teams. You know, you come back the second season, you might win win a couple of games early on in the season, but then that emotion of, of defending a title gets to you. Penrith have stayed very level-headed. Um, watching them play, they are silky smooth. People talk about the two losses to the Eels during the season. Well, one of them was a red card to Nathan Cleary, who's, you know, the, the Penrith's best player, and they're down to 12 men. So, not that I'm saying it wasn't deserved that they won that, but I think you have you do have to caveat. The important one for me was the first finals game, where Penrith put 40 points on them. So, um, I think... You know, given the magnitude of, of a grand final, Penrith have been there for three years in a row now. The Eels are trying to you know get rid of a 36-year hoodoo. I just think it's going to be a little bit too much for them against a quality team. And so, Smithy, I honestly think you know Penrith 13 plus is is probably where you put your money at the TAB. Ooh, 13 plus in a grand final. Yeah, I know. Gords, uh, yeah, Gords, what's your feeling there? Well, I'm, I'm not saying I disagree with Sam. Like, I mean, I think the Panthers are favourites and deserve to be favourites, and, and I expect them to win. The one thing I would say, and, and look, you raise a good point, they, they beat them twice during the regular season. Yep, you, there might be an asterisk next to one of them because of the red cards of Ivan Theory. And, and again, I agree with you. Like, I think the 27-8 to 8, uh, margin in the, in the first round of the finals is probably a more accurate reflection of these two teams. The one thing I would say, and we've just been talking about boxing, I give the Eels a puncher's chance in this because I think... And I'm kind of pleased that this is the grand final that we've got because I'm not sure that any other team would have had the weapons, I suppose, to, to beat Penrith. But I reckon the Eels do. And they're, they're just, they're, they're a bit, they've been a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde team this year, haven't they? They've caused some great upsets and then they've lost to teams that they absolutely should have beaten. So they're, they're rocks and diamonds. I think it's just as likely we see the, the Panthers put 40 points on them as, as we do see the Eels get up and, and cause an upset. So, look, if, if we're talking betting like you just have been, Sam, yes, I think the smart probably is something like Panthers, you know, 13 plus. But but I'm, I'm certainly not prepared to write off the Eels. Um, and I'm looking forward to the grand final. I think it's going to, it's going to be a ripper. Sam Hewitt, you've got a, a rugby league focus this afternoon. We do. Smithy running it straight big grand final preview, so two-hour show from two to four. Uh, we're going to get Nathan Kalis on, of course, the former Kiwis captain, uh, won a World Cup and also played uh, 250-odd games, I think, for the uh, Parramatta Eels. So uh, we'll get his take on um, how he thinks his former side is going to go in the grand final. And then um, Todd Payton's actually going to come on as well, uh, the Cowboys wow. coach who obviously finished disappointingly on the weekend, but universally touted as 
probably coach of the year this year, took his side from 15th to 2nd on the ladder and uh, made a preliminary final. Disappointing end, but we're going to um, just chat through the season with Todd and uh, a couple of former Panthers, hopefully, as well. We've got a few uh, few baits out for them, but it's going to be a big, big grand final focus, Smithy. We're, we're looking forward to it. Okay, Sam, uh, thanks very much. I'll let you go and prepare for that. And uh, Andrew Cordy, just finally, um, referee at the, well, the previous game in Australia, uh, Mr. Reynal has no regrets over his time-wasting call. He's digs in, and being a Frenchman, you wouldn't expect anything less. Exactly, and I don't think he's got anything to be to be regretful over um, or anything to apologise for. I mean, you can I don't care how much Morgan Turanui and, and all his mates whinge and carry on about this decision. Um, I think the hearing the, the referee's microphone and hearing that audio is utterly damning to Bernard Foley and the rest of the Wallabies team. I don't think he's got anything to apologise for, anything to be regretful over. Um, the one thing I would say, and, and, I'm, not, and it's, I'm not saying anything new here, but the rest of the rugby world is absolutely on notice. And on, in the wake of this call, we've got a Rugby World Cup next year. So, you know, if you, if you get a free kick, uh, don't mess around would be the message I'd be, I'd be giving to my players if I was a coach heading to a Rugby World Cup next year because these refs, I think, have, have, have I suppose, put a line in the sand, um, or certainly uh, Mr Raynell has, um, for others to follow. And um, I, I, I think... You know, and I've sort of tried to put myself in the position of how would I have felt if it was the All Blacks on the end of this decision? I really don't mm. think there's, there's anything, any comeback. Um, I think it's crystal clear. He was, he was very clear in his communication. Um, maybe Bernard Foley didn't hear him quite right, but I don't know. Maybe you've, maybe you've got to listen a little better when, that, when the pressure's on. He will next time, no doubt about it. Uh, Andrew Gordy, thank you very much. Um, continue that uh, rehabilitation in fine fashion, sir. Uh, we'll talk to you again shortly uh, here on the panel. And Sam Hewitt, of course, thank you very much as well. We'll have another panel uh, tomorrow morning around about 10.20. Uh, it's uh, time for a break at 10.44. Uh, and when we come back, uh, we might look at some of your texts. Join us on the Mail Run and Good Oil every Saturday for all of the action. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, we've got a number of texts in here. Um, a couple, um, Anna Richards actually for next Black Ferns coach has just come in from Tom. Uh, Dan has said uh, on the NRL Penrith two twenty five for thirteen plus looks pretty short to him. Um, and we've had uh, also uh, a number coming in about uh, the coverage of the Women's Rugby World Cup. Uh, a lot of people who are uh, sort of a wee bit worried about what extent it will be and their opportunity to, to actually watch it, particularly those people down south who either cannot afford or are unable to go to uh, the Women's Rugby World Cup. So they and their daughters, their kids, etc., very keen on watching it. Uh, Logan, what are the options as such officially? Well, yes, every game is live on Sparksport. I know there's a lot of concern there about is there any free air? Well, there actually is. I don't know how well publicised it has been, but three... Uh, have they announced a while ago that they are going to broadcast eight matches throughout the tournament, including the final and the two semifinals live. They're also going to have two matches from the quarterfinals delayed. Uh, they will have New Zealand's pool matches against Australia, Wales and Scotland on as well. No word on whether that's live or delayed. I would assume in this point in time it's probably delayed and Spark would have it live but there is going to be the reach there there is going to be the accessibility so no matter what we're going to have a platform to support and watch the Black Ferns 
Excellent, excellent news. So um, there will be possibilities. I imagine it'll be on the odd pub and club around the joint as well who have uh, Spark going into their systems. Um, some don't, some do. It is uh, 10.51. We'll keep you more updated as news comes to hand there. Uh, but we need to uh, talk to Louis Herman Watt, of course, with some tips today out of Cambridge and Pip Morris as well, the same in the Greyhounds. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Well, as always, Louis joins us uh, as we speak about racing today. It is at Cambridge on the synthetic. There are eight races, Louis, beginning at 1.30 this afternoon. We're uh, at the uh, Cambo synthetic. And like I said it this morning, and I fear that I might have come across a little bit disparaging, but what I'm trying to get, what I'm trying to get across is it's not the strongest Cambridge synthetic meet that I've come across. And I think it's because now, and it doesn't seem like it, but the tracks theoretically are starting to dry. So some of the horses that have been using the Cambridge Synthetic for fitness or uh, to, for those nicer tracks might be starting to look towards the turf a little bit more. But that means there's still going to be winners. There's going to be opportunity out there. Um, and in, I think it's race six, we've got a, a uh, affiliate that's going to go around in the Waikato stud colours out of Chandelier by Stabberville. So stunning cross. Um, and this is, we've had success here before. Tony Pike's got the horse. Vinnie Colgan takes a ride. And it's called Get Lit which I absolutely love. So um, as Izzy Dag likes to get lit, and he will be getting lit if Pungo even runs close mm. to a race. Um, we might be having a look at get lit, but uh, Bilano is the other filly I don't mind in that field. So that was the nicest race of the day, I thought, with a couple of horses that could come out of it and have some success. But what do you reckon? Like We know we know what happens when Izzy backs horses. What about, what about a, as an owner? Is he just a stopper full stop, or what do you think? I sense, I sense he's a very excited owner. A very ex- for a guy who's been to the the peak of his powers in World Cups, etc., uh, around the globe. All of a sudden, he's like a kid with a new toy in a candy shop. And I, I think that you know, because he's he's a genuine investor here, he'll probably be getting some reasonable information from the trainer himself. I would be thinking that he's quite excited. He is, but you know, like he's he's also lived he's he's living the owner life. Like you know, that the the training fees are coming out. <laughs> and when they're coming out, you want to know when they go into the races. And then it's got to the races, and like not not seriously, Smithy. Like this thing can gallop. Like it's one two trials under its own steam. Hits the line hard. So it's a chance. It's a proper chance. And I would be excited if I was him too. Oh, it's a chance, all right. Let's get across to uh, Pip Morris, uh, of course, out of the TAB with Greyhounds today out of Palmerston North, Pip. Good morning, Smithy. It certainly is. I made my best bet of the day in the last race for AJ Christensen, bringing a couple of dogs down. I think Hillbilly Heist in the previous looks a good chance, and I like Money Trail in the last at $3, just think he looks one of the class dogs if he handles the track first up. At Cambridge, can tell you the best back there has been Kenobi, race number three, uh, really well back there at Cambridge. And for the NPC today, too, Smithy, there's been a couple of bets on Bay of Plenty match result at one forty-seven, two thousand dollars $2,000 there, another $1,000 at that quote, and a $1,000 on Northland alternate points there with the 14 and a half to cover that and start with it at $1.62 in the market. And just quickly, of course, the NRL final on Sunday. The Panthers so far best back, 8000 on them, just ahead of $1.38, another 4000 on them that quote. And the Eels had a little bit of seeking, 2.1 on them at 2.95. Good on you, Pip Morris. Uh, always got your timing exactly right. 
We have got Greg Murphy after the break, motorsport being the subject, of course. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Start your engines. It's the Midas service session with Greg Murphy. Trust the team at Midas for your next car service. Well, after 10 years in the waiting, the World Rally Championship returns with the Rally of New Zealand starting tomorrow and going through to Sunday across various locations from Auckland to the Raglan and Whanga Coast, plus the Whitford Forest rally drivers from New Zealand and around the world will be out to test themselves on our terrain. It's time now for the Midas service session with Greg Murphy, where we look at what's going on in the world of Kiwi motorsport in particular. Uh, welcome back uh, to the show, Murph. Uh, so where are you right now, and what's uh, what's on your agenda? Smithy, uh, yeah, good to talk to you, mate. Um, actually standing as we speak in the pit lane at uh, Winton Motor Raceway in Victoria, the Mallor. Uh, about to uh, start our final uh, pre-Bathurst test uh, for the day. And Richie Stanaway and myself and the Erebus crew, and we're just, uh, yeah, about ready to fire up the engines and warm up and get ready for, well, at the moment, a dry day at, at Winton and, yeah, fine-tune, basically. How's it looking so far, then? Because there's a, s- a serious amount of interest in uh, your um, re-entry into uh, Bathurst. And, of course, there was that uh, time there was a little bit of doubt over Will Brown's car, etc. cetera. Uh, but yep. she's all systems go now, the green light. So how's it looking, Murph? How are you feeling? Yeah, yeah, good, mate. Um, well, I'm certainly staring at the at the number nine Will Brown car as well. Uh, Will Brown, Jack Perkins running together at Bathurst next week, and it's uh, sitting here completely rebuilt. Um, pretty much, a, oh, I don't know, probably eighty percent brand new car actually um, sitting right there. So they were about to do a shakedown on that. They were supposed to do that last week, but um, obviously, uh, car was in a thousand pieces. They finished it yesterday, and she's rolled out out of the truck this morning, sitting in the sunshine, looking looking brand new. So. Um, a pretty big day and a, and a huge effort by that team uh, to get that ready. But yeah, I mean our car was is just um, was sat there in the, in the workshop and and didn't change. Um, the number nine car is and Will staying in the same car. It's just a repaired one, so we didn't really have to do too much in the end to to uh, you know sort everything out. And um, it's just status quo. And and our plans haven't changed. We were always going to be here today doing our final test uh, for Bathurst. So. Uh, we've got a you know a bit of a schedule to get through today. A lot of pit stop practice and uh, driver change practice and and bits and pieces. Um, you know, it's not not focused on on lap time or anything today. It's one of those days we're just trying to dot the i across the t's and 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 uh, you know get all the all the other little one percent things right as best we can, ready for when we hit the mountain. Murph, I know you make it sound very much business as such, and it is to that degree. But you, you know, you were frustrated last year, um, and of course, um, there was the speculation again this year. Now that it seems it's finally going to happen, what what is Greg Murphy really feeling about it when you've got time to think about it? Yeah, uh, it, it's I keep, keep get asked a bit about that, and you know, the, you know, I think the, there's very much a belief or expectation that it, you know, must be very, very excited about it and, you know, I can't wait, and, you know, it's a dream come true, all this kind of stuff, but you know, it's it's, it's a little bit different when I've, you've been away from it for eight years and, you know, you're stepping back into, uh, you know, I would say the most competitive 
um, you know, touring car championship in the world, and and you know you haven't had your brain sort of in gear as you were when you were racing full time. You know, when you're racing full time, until you think about it, it's, it's quite subliminal. A lot of the things that happen, and now, you know, trying to re-engage with with all that, and and um, just make sure you're doing all the all the small things right. You know, and um, and focused on not wanting to make mistakes, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot at stake. You know, it's, a, it's an expensive, very expensive process. So, you know, I think it's uh, we are definitely there to enjoy it. We're not. You know, there's certainly no pressure on to to it for a certain result or anything. No one's from Boost or any of the sponsors are expecting that. They just want to be part of of uh, something that is a little unique and a little bit different and, and, and you know, very special. I'm, I'm quite humbled and honoured to get the opportunity. I sort of feel a little bit like I'm taking it away from someone else who probably deserves it more than I do, you know, but but we are a wild card. We are, you know, there for, for various reasons, which is down away having a, a shot at this is, is really the, the, the key catalyst for me and um, that's what I'm sort of most excited about is actually watching him drive a supercar again um, in, a, in a very different headspace and, and, um, than, than what he was when he walked away from the sport and just see uh, him enjoy driving a car again and, and see what kind of performance he can put together. So there's lots of, lots of feelings, um, but I'm, I'm still a bit anxious about it. You know, you, you, you don't want to turn up at Bathurst, a place where you, you, know, you have got a lot of history and, and uh, look like, a, like an idiot, you know, um, and that might sound ridiculous, but... You know the, the the speed at which these drivers are driving. You know the capabilities of a lot of the the guys drivers is is phenomenal, and and um, it's moved on a lot since I last raced. Murph uh, on this side of the Tasman. Uh, meanwhile, um, the World Rally Championship returns yep. for New Zealand Motorsport. Uh, we hear competitors say New Zealand has some of the best roads in the world. What is it? Uh, what are the qualities? What are, what are the idiosyncrasies about our roads that make them so appealing to the drivers? I think you know a lot of the roads are, you know, um, well looked after main main roads that um, uh, you know, and, and close to uh, towns and cities as well. Some of the, the the form of of these gravel roads that's been you know built many, 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 many years ago and, and they are still a, a main thoroughfare in many respects. And so the quality of, of them is very, very good. The shapes, the cambers, just the way we, we've, we, you know, inherently built these these roads uh, right back when they were first formed had just created, you know, uh, just a, for rally drivers, just the most beautiful sort of landscapes and, and designs and, and roads that they could have, they could have wanted. So... Um, it, it, it's just the way it seems to have worked out. I mean, you compare ours to Australia as well, and in many cases, you know, our our roads are very different even to Australia, and, and just um, you know the, the way that uh, it, it sort of played out is is something that rally drivers really really love, and um, it's it's awesome that that they still think like that. I mean, to have someone like Sebastian Ogier particularly put this race uh, this rally on his calendar because of how he feels about it, I think it's testament to, to what WRC think of think of New Zealand and, uh, and a rally. Well, it's important that it goes well because I guess to a certain extent, uh, having been away from New Zealand for a while, we're, we're a little bit on trial here? I don't think so. I think, I, I think the people that are involved in it, um, that have put it together, um, you know, they're, they're experts at this. They've done it before. They know what a good rally needs to be. Um, so, and, and they're very, very, very good at organising and doing logistics of, of it. So, 
you know, I, I don't think we're on on in a situation where we're, you know, um, trying to showcase ourselves again or prove anything. I think it's I think it's just a matter of of you know the, the commercial realities of something like this, which is it's very expensive to do, and those mm. are the challenges, and it's a long way to come down here as well and bring bring a world rally championship, bring all the people, the crews, the, the TV, everyone down from from up uh, in the northern hemisphere. Uh, down to this part of the world is it's just a huge logistical situation, and obviously at the moment, still you know reeling from the whole COVID thing, um, it's it's a bigger challenge than it's ever been. So, those are the kinds of things that get in the way and and, and you know determine decisions that are made. I think more than anything else, I think the the desire is is very strong to come down this part of the world. It's just the the, the commercial realities of it all is is the probably the the most difficult thing to work around. Our very own Hayden Patton has been performing pretty well in the EV lately. Um, is that something uh, you per- perceive will be uh, part of the future of rallying in particular, the use of electric vehicles worldwide? Uh, I think it's a long way away, personally. Um, I think he's doing an amazing job developing some incredible technology uh, and and maybe you know it'll, it'll form, form a direction for, for other things. Uh, using the tech that he's that he's developing, and I mean it's a, it's a huge undertaking, and and so far what he's achieved is phenomenal. But you know, I, I don't know. I think uh, going to the, the the hybrid format is is maybe um, you know it's a big test for for WRC and and for the manufacturers and everything else to to sort of maybe learn from, but also you know work out where the where the actual direction is in the future because it's I think it's still a very challenging space that and something that. That uh, really manufacturers and uh, still don't quite know where, what what the answer is for the future. But um, uh, he's you know he's got his one built and, and doing amazing things with it. Ashley Forrest a couple of weekends ago um, to go and you know win that in that car and and prove that it um, you know is a, is a is a performing a very very high performing car is um, I think testament as I say to his team and his crew that uh, have built that car right here in New Zealand. But we'll see what happens in the future. Every day uh, you pick up the paper and you look at motor racing or you look at an article on stuff or what have you, uh, the name Shane Van Gisbergen is right to, to the fore. And here again uh, in the Rally of New Zealand, uh, his name has been bandied around. Uh, what about his preparation? Yeah, listen, um, <laughs> he's just... He's everywhere at the moment driving... Uh, associated with all sorts of things, there's now an article I saw yesterday that uh, uh, possibly looking to go and do some um, a bit of NASCAR stuff next year as well, which I would be really awesome to see him have a crack at uh, doing something in, in that formula. Um, and, I, and there's absolutely no doubt in my mind he'd, he'd be uh, he'd be very good at it. Um, but yeah, the, getting ready for Rally New Zealand it's just a real bucket list I think for him and you know his love of of that of rallying and that this form of the sport is is very strong and. And uh, he's got that connection through his dad as well, who's, uh, who's you know has competed and done things in rallying uh, back um, a few years ago now, but uh, was was very competitive and did a good job in that. So they've, they've got this this family sort of deal going there, where there's you know motorsport is just absolutely flowing through their veins, and and rallying is a part of that. So this is a big tick for, for Shane, and and a, and a huge opportunity and moment. He'll be relishing the chance to actually be entered in a WRC. Um, event and also in WRC2 um, as well. Um, so it, and it's going to be an amazing class 
to watch. You know, the Rally 1 cars are phenomenal, huge speed, amazing drivers, uh, but we've got a real, real competition on our hands in WRC2 with with Hayden and, and um, Shane and a lot of the other local guys as well showing amazing speed, Ben Hunt in a, in a Skoda and then some of the internationals. So, you know, it's uh, that, that alone is going to be an awesome competition to watch. And, I'm, and Shane will be fully focused and prepared. They've been doing Ricky the last few days from what I gather and, um, you know, starting to get, uh, get all the nitty-gritty together in preparation for um, when she kicks off around the domain on Thursday night. But I mean, I'm super excited about the um, Repco Rally New Zealand, you know, kicking off this week. It's it's a huge undertaking and, and, you know, it's been a long time coming and it's actually finally here. There's a lot of rally fans in this country, motorsport fans, that are, are definitely going to get out and appreciate it. So so rally is, is very, very strong, aside from the fact we haven't been able to host... Um, an event of this magnitude, the rallying side of it, New Zealand-wise, is is still as strong as ever. You feel? Oh, I think so. I think it's, it's probably a little bit stronger. I mean, the field of cars in the national championship and the quality of the of the equipment um, is 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 pretty amazing. You know, uh, there's a lot of very very high end four wheel drive cars, a lot of uh, WRC two cars. You know, factory uh, cars from from Skoda. Uh, and, and V-Dub and, and others as well that um, race in our national championship along with a lot of high-quality AP4 cars as well. So it's, it's very well represented and, um, you know, it's, it's as popular as, as it's ever been. Um, so, well, actually more popular because I think more people have engaged with it over the last little while. So, um, and it might be a little bit too COVID too, but people being stuck, stuck in New Zealand and they've, they've gone and, um, you know, decided to commit to, to doing events like that and, and, and more local events. So it's uh, it, it's a very popular sport in New Zealand and, you know, it dates all the way back. You think of the, the possum borns of the world who, who were putting um, rallying on the map, you know, way back in the 90s as well, and it, it's just retained that fine. If Shane Van Gisbergen was to go to NASCAR and you reckon he'd handle it, you'd handle it pretty well? Do you think you'd think he could be given a, a decent car? He'd be a factor? Yeah, I think. Listen, the the, the oval the oval stuff is always a, a big learning, but you know, I would imagine that um, if he was going to go do something, you'd see him doing some road course um, events um, just to to understand and learn a little bit about the cars. And and I think that the current NASCAR, which was uh, new for this year, um, is very much and a lot more in line with what um, you know he's used to driving as well. Uh, they, they changed a lot of stuff for for twenty twenty two, and uh, basically a, a brand new car. And it's um it's sort of a little bit more aligned with what uh, a supercar uh, sort of is. So yeah, you know, he would he would adapt very very quickly to that. And um, I've no doubt be uh, you know pretty much uh, on the money uh, out the gate in a on a road course sort of style. Um, um, you know I'm not sure what exactly his plans is are about. You know looking at the future with NASCAR as a more of a you know uh, like a Mark Sambro style. Um, shift over there and, and take that on, or just do the odd, odd event, and uh, you know, and just again widen his, his reach on on all the different forms of the, of motorsport that you know that he's doing. He loves a challenge. He's just he's driven by challenge and learning, and um, you know his, his capability, as I say, is pretty much across just about every every single form of motorsport, and um, you know his ability to adapt is, is enormous, and he's proven that time and time again. Murph, uh, just finally, uh, when you've uh, finished your, your work today at Winton, uh, what next leading into Bathurst? 
Yeah, uh, today, mate, we, we full day here, then uh, back to Auckland in the morning uh, for the for the rally, for Ripco Rally New Zealand. Um, got some uh, commitments there over Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then um, we'll sh- shoot Sky Speed on, on Monday, and then I'll jump on a plane on again on Monday afternoon, head back to Sydney and the Bathurst uh, on Tuesday. Um, and then obviously there for the week in prep for, uh, yeah, the great race on uh, Sunday the 9th. So um, she's a, a reasonably hectic sort of period and fully immersed in motorsport over the next short while, which, uh, yeah, it uh, feels a bit weird, to be honest. Well, Murph, uh, it's great to see you back uh, in the seat now that that's fully confirmed. I hope uh, everything goes uh, tickety-boo today in Winton and uh, look forward to catching up with you, mate. If you get a, a window for us next week, we'd be amazed, but we'd be thrilled as well. Thanks so much. Absolutely. All the best. All the best, man. Cheers, Smithy. Good on you, bud. Cheers, uh, yeah, Greg Murphy there out of Winton. Last day of uh, preparation in the car for Bathurst uh, for he and uh, Richie Stanaway. How, how exciting. How absolutely exciting for them. It must be, uh, you know, life and the old dog sort of thing. There's all those sort of things uh, come to mind. But, man, uh, when he hits, sits in that seat and he goes over that hill and down the straits of uh, Bathurst, won't that bring some marvellous memories back to him? Let's uh, hope he goes well. It's uh, 11.20. That was the Midas Service Session with Greg Murphy. Don't let an overdue service cost you more in the long run. See the team at Midas. Summer all winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, the NBA season is uh, not too far away and uh, yesterday all of the uh, franchises had their uh, traditional media day and, uh, of course, uh, Stephen Adams back in Memphis now uh, was uh, there and uh, he was asked several questions. He's uh, always a favourite, isn't he, with the media, Stephen Adams. They don't quite know what they're going to get out of him, but he was asked about shooting threes. Stephen, Ray, saw, saw you shoot some some three pointers this this off season. Yeah, uh, is that something? I didn't miss though. You see those? Yeah, you made like yeah, six in a row. Shit. Yeah, you, lucky you didn't put on the bloody full video, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I was there since five in the morning. It was three o'clock. <laughs> Should we expect you to to shoot three pointers in in the regular season games this season? No, nah, I wouldn't say. Don't expect it. Um, just just be surprised and cheer me on. <laughs> when it happens, you know, don't expect it though. It's more just like, holy shit, <laughs> what the, what's going on? Yeah, just treat it like one of those things. <laughs> it is so Stephen Adams, isn't he? So don't give a damn. You ask me a question, I'll answer it the way that I want to. If you can use the clip or you can use the replay, so be it. If you can't, well, you took the risk by asking me the question. Man, I just love him there. Yeah, they sure they sure do, Smithy. And media day in the NBA, it's one you circle on the calendar because you're always going to get a nice little snippet like that uh, from Stephen Adams. And of course, with uh, COVID sort of, but I guess in the rearview mirror, so to speak. I mean, it still exists, but you know we're able to travel. Stephen was able to come back home, uh, and of course, you know what that meant. He got to have some time on the farm and also do a spot of fishing. I think with COVID, you didn't have the chance to go home for a while, right? Uh, yeah, back mate, to New yeah. Zealand. Did you make it back this summer? And if you did, what'd you do? Yeah, made it back. Um, yeah, it was bloody awesome, bro. Um, got to see my family, see all these yeah, other big people, see the New Zealanders, my friends. Went out, did a little bit of fishing. Yeah, just enjoyed the country, bro. Went back out to the farm. Did you catch any big fish? 
Yeah, it was it was big in the photo because I put it really close to the camera. <laughs> so they're like, hold it up, and it was like, thing, and it just grew bigger. So it just it looks good on the photo. It wasn't that big though. It wasn't that big. <laughs> Stephen Adams, and uh, yeah, he's got a lot of pressure on him. Uh, there's always uh, pressure on him um, as a big, I guess, Logan. But uh, there were times last year when they thought that his career might be just um, under a little bit of threat there with Memphis and maybe in the NBA in particular. But how do you feel about it going into this year? Yeah, I mean, well, this will be a full season with Memphis. He's now, from what I watched yesterday, feeling a lot more comfortable there in the Grizzlies organization. Uh, it sort of speaks of, you know, the relationships he has there with, you know, the players like Ja Morant and, you know, playing with that lot. Uh, I think hopefully we have a big season here for, uh, for uh, Stephen Adams. You know, the, the Grizzlies were 56 and 26, uh, finished uh, second overall there in the Western Conference. So there'll be a lot of expectations. Uh, but with the way that Stephen Adams plays, the way he likes to protect the, the rim there, and he's huge on defense, we know he loves to send those really massive full-court passes to set up plays. He'll probably be looking to do more of that. And I like the idea of uh, Stephen Adams diversifying his game a little bit here Smithy and trying to add mm. the three pointer to his repertoire because then that stretches out the floor and that just makes the defense even more worried about what's going to come next. So if he is now adding something like that to his game 10 years uh, into the NBA, man, that's awesome. So yeah, I hope Stephen has a wicked season with the Grizzlies. Right. Okay. Um, I do too. Uh, just a couple of texts here to uh, help people out. Uh, someone's texting and say, uh, give us the details of Izzy's horse again, please. That's from Chris. Okay, well, it's uh, race two at uh, Rose Hill this afternoon. Uh, time to go, 5.35pm. Uh, the horse is uh, number 11, Pungo. It is ridden by Hugh Waller, trained by uh, Hugh Waller. Hugh Bowman, trained by Chris Waller. Hugh Bowman, Chris Waller, paying um, around about uh, seven bucks at the moment. Um, and the favourite is James McDonald's horse, who's riding for Godolphin. James Cummings, of course, the trainer there. Uh, that it's about 3.30. So, yeah, uh, uh, Izzy's horse is Pungo. Drawn the ace, so that'll help. Drawn one. Hope the track's a good one. Uh, and the other one you might be able to help me out with uh, here, Logan, which I'm not too familiar with. Uh, forget the TA, uh, Forgot the TAB promo code from the morning show. Help a brother out. Has anyone got an idea for that? I'll have to look that one have? up. Okay, find out. We'll get back to you on that, uh, sir, and uh, give you that information very shortly. What we can tell you now, though, is it's just time to call... Uh, 0800-150-811, 0800-150-811, and uh, you have an opportunity to win 50 bucks from the TAB in uh, your attempt to stump Smithy. It's a pretty easy, damn easy thing to do, actually. Uh, so we look forward to your calls when you come back. Uh, Brian uh, Rarari will be on the phones uh, welcoming you into the show, and, uh, of course, uh, Logan uh, Swinkles will be uh, the quiz master this morning. It's 11.31. Before we do all that, we should have a news update with Araha. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yeah, since your favourite time in the morning here on SCNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. It is stumped. And Smithy, I very quickly did a bit of homework there on the TAB. That promo code that you're looking for is Hall Pass. All one word. Hall Pass. Beauty. Thank you for that. Uh, that uh, texter who was unnamed. Uh, we'll be happy about that. Right, uh, who have we got lined up today and what are the categories? Well, today what they'll be playing for is a $50 TAB 
bonus bet from our friends there at the TAB. Interesting to see if we can get one up, get it the uh, the little kit there up towards the end of the week. But first, Billy from Auckland, he's up first. Come in, mate. Good morning, uh, Logan. Good morning, Smithy. G'day, Billy. How's things? All right? Yeah, yeah. Pretty good, Smithy. Hey, um, last time we spoke, we spoke about the Bay and the Bay of Plenty and Hawke's Bay. And I, I actually won on the weekend, Smithy. I forgot. Oh, oh careful. <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. Um, the All Blacks got up over uh, the Wallabies. Black Ferns got up over Japan. Um, Canterbury beat Auckland. Uh, I wasn't because I was so busy with the international rugby. The domestic <laughs> side of it just passed me by a wee bit, Billy. But uh, I am led to believe we're a decent chunk of wood short in Hawks Bay all of a sudden. I know that. Yeah, no, fair play, Smithy. Um, it's, it's an amazing comp this year, NPC. Anyway, um, I won't hold you guys up. You're, you're you're right there. No, absolutely fascinating. You, you, it has been. It's just been wonderful. I didn't, until I did a bit of work on the, the Canterbury um, interview this morning uh, with Marty Burke, I never quite realised that they were so far out in front, Canterbury. I was sort of more uh, interested in the other division as such, but, God, they've monstered it. Canterbury have monstered it. Whoever knocks them over, as we always say every year, uh, will probably be the winner. OK, uh, what are we looking at this morning? Uh, Logan, in terms of categories for Billy. Oh, topics for you today, Billy. After that little shot. <laughs> uh, we have golf, the All-Whites, and the NPC. Take your pick. Oh, I've got to go NPC, please. All right, good luck. Yes, go the bay. Go the bay, that's all I can say. First question... NPC Rugby, as an organised competition, dates back to 1976. What province won that first title? Mm. I'll have to go Auckland, please, Logan. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. Otago. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. You got the um, colours right. Bay of Plenty. Oh, no. Yeah. Kidding me. Mm-hmm. The Bay, as they call it these days. The Bay. <laughs> yes, yes they do. Yeah. Second question, Billy. In 1992, the NPC switched formats from the league style that you see in the EPL to a final system. What province won the first final back in 1992? I'm just thinking about the uh, the talent back then, and probably one of the two answers Smithy and I gave earlier. I'll, I'll go, I'll go Auckland, please. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Over to you, Smithy. Right. Well, I think Otago are quite talented back in the. That was a great days uh, going around about that time of Otago rugby. So I'm going to stick with Otago. One of the worst things oh, I have ever oh. seen done on a cricket field. Otago were great in that era, Smithy, but they lost that final 40-5 to to Waikato. Oh, my God. Mulus. That's a big one. The Mulu men also great during the the 90 period there, 90s. Billy, last question. $50 TAB bonus bet still on the line. See how you both go on this one. The NPC has been contested 46 times. Which province has won the most titles? Oh, 
Um, I think uh, in, in later times, especially uh, cards to go past the can tabs, have to lock them in. Logan, please, Canterbury. One of the worst things I have oh. ever seen done on a cricket field. Coincidentally, uh, Canterbury a second. They have thirteen. Who has more, Smithy? They'll be second to Auckland. Second to Auckland. Oh, surely. Right in the slot. Underway it goes. Yeah, there you have it. First stumping of the week, I believe. Well done, Smithy. Oh. Billy, yeah, and you had to stick with your mates for one more answer. That's all. Just <laughs> one more Auckland answer. I know. Oh, it's it either or. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, it might be you if you call back in, Billy. It might be you if you first, first cab off the rank. You get in early enough. So uh, wish you all the best. But uh, have a terrific day, mate, regardless of that. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Jens. Yeah, yeah cheers. Uh, so uh, Billy misses out. Kevin was waiting in the wings from uh, Cambridge. Kev, uh, make sure you get on the lines tomorrow because, of course, it will be worth $100. Uh, tomorrow, 100 smackaroos, so really starting to get uh, worth uh, winning, isn't it, in that re- regard. Uh, we shall take a short break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we will be talking, of course, to uh, Andy Thompson at his Rural Roundup Day. I can see him poised in the studio down there on the coast, um, and uh, we'll talk to staff before midway, midday as well. And uh, I think we'll also perhaps um, play a clip or two around the selection of the coaches for women's rugby. The Orpiki competition has uh, had some exciting news with two women head coaches. That is terrific. SENZ. Yes, it's uh, coming up to 11.45 here on SENZ. And uh, being Wednesday, of course, this is the time we always uh, check in with uh, Andy Thompson. Uh, because uh, his Rural Roundup uh, show starts at midday. It's on all frequencies around the country, uh, barring Auckland and Wellington, so a very big rural audience there, as you would expect, uh, Andy. And I believe today, uh, if I believe what I'm seeing, you have a special co-host as well. I do, Smithy. Welcome to our co-host today, Katie Milne, ex-president of Federated Farmers, fellow coaster. So I've dragged her in. It's a wet day here today, so I've dragged her in to, um, to give me a hand. Yeah, good morning, guys. Okay, great so, to be here. Yeah, good morning. Good morning, Katie. Yeah, absolutely great to see you there. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to see how the co-hosting role goes. You say it's raining down there again, not uh, not bad rain. Yeah, no, we've uh, started off with a bit of drizzle, but it's a little bit heavy now, but it's, we've had a great few days, so we little drunk is just about perfect timing, actually. Is it just about perfect timing for uh, all concerned? Um, okay, um, I don't know who's going to be the, the senior on this show today, so I'll just pose a gentle question straight down the middle of you. Uh, what are your highlights of the show today? What are you featuring? Well, I'm featuring Katie on the show as well, Smithy, but no, yeah. what, what we're talking about is um, Fonterra, uh, passed from last week's show. Um, we all know there's a lot of noise in the marketplace about emissions reduction and what farmers need to do. And the discussion has been, are the agricultural processes, are they sending enough signals to farmers to tell them how important it is that they need to be getting on board with emissions reductions? Katie's just been to India. Um, you've seen some of um, how important it is, haven't you? Yeah, I have. It's a, a different kettle of fish completely there, of course, with um, high cow numbers and low production. And that highlights actually what emissions 
Nations leakage is to me and um, if people who don't understand it, if you're doing uh, 20, 30 litres of cow in New Zealand and um, we cut down production because of our carbon emissions, uh, someone else has to pick it up and at two litres of cow it means if they don't increase production to do it, uh, they're going to do it through more cows which is more methane and therefore more uh, emissions leakage as we call it, more output and carbon overall. So it is a very complex situation. Really complex stuff, Smithy. So we're going to delve into it a little bit today. Yep, okay. Um, I'm just looking at a headline myself saying Pointara's uh, Waitoa production site is being used to trial what the cooperative describes as a new low-cost, long-life battery to power some operations there. So is that the future as well? I think it is the future, Smithy. There's, that's A lot of that is going on. In fact, yeah, I featured that in my rural news today. Um, and there's a lot, yeah, absolutely that is. And they, um, uh, look, that, part of that is about um, using electric, uh, batteries to store energy, but it's also to make sure that um, when the energy supply is disrupted, they can continue uh, production uninterrupted. So, And they're also going to have an electric tanker fleet. So things are moving really, really fast in the agricultural space when it comes to emissions reduction. We know that. We know it's so important for New Zealand for their agriculture. So that's, yeah, that's what we're working on. We've also got Mental Health Awareness Week this week, Smithy, and we've uh, got Lance mm. Burdett on the show. So really looking forward to that. Is this, is this not an area that uh, Sir John Kerwin was involved with, with, with farmers in particular? Yeah, look, it's a big part of farming. So John Kerwin, Sir John Kerwin, you've got um, uh, Sam Whitelock with FarmStrong as well. Uh, so mental health on farms is a massive, massive issue. It's something Katie's been involved in as well. I know it's a big part of what, what she does. So it's a massive topic. Yeah, it is. And actually worldwide, it's it's very interesting that uh, agriculture, um, sadly, suicides is massive, no matter what country you're in, whether you're in a, um, a um, you know, developing nation country or the fully developed farming as we have at the more commercial farmers. So, yeah, some weird thing that goes on with us. And the more we can do and put in to um, help farmers step through that, the better. So, Katie, just um, on that and without going too specific, because we probably haven't got the time to do that, is... Is that uh, lifestyle uh, related or financially pressure, pressure of finance, etc.? Um, you know, is, is it more governed towards that? It it doesn't seem to have um, any one particular thing. It is a, a whole. Um, all those things put in together and it seems to be that whether it's financial pressure or bad weather or animals getting a bad disease if you're overseas and dying, mm. uh, that pressure from your family to supply the lifestyle for them uh, and just generally food on the table, there's one thing that comes along and breaks, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. But yeah, you can't really uh, target any particular piece and say, well, if we nail that one, we've cured it. Okay, cool. Isolation. Okay, well... Isolation's a big one, I would imagine. It is straight out a big one. Um, and then, of course, you've got the other things that hit you every now and then, like um, droughts and, and uh, climate variations, etc. So um, things that you really uh, can't plan for as such. So uh, it's tough. It is tough. I, I realise that. Uh, I look forward to uh, listening to the co-hosting role today from, from both of you. Uh, I'll let you go. You're about nine minutes away from going to wear. So uh, thank you, uh, Andy. Thank you very much, Katie, as well. And uh, look forward to listening to Rural Roundup today, this afternoon. Thank you. Thanks, Mathie. Cheers, Mathie. Cheers. Uh, okay, so uh, Andy and Katie there, uh, the double act just after midday. And, uh, of course, uh, we'll, uh, in Auckland and Wellington still have 
uh, staff available to you as well. And, of course, you've got the big afternoon of league with Sam Hewitt, which we've already talked about. We will be back very shortly. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.